It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor, all hoping to make the world of work just a little bit better. And leading us today is Dr. Destiny. Um, So, Destiny, we're going to do a little more spring cleaning here, refreshing job positions and outdated roles. Do, do job positions and roles become outdated? I mean, no, of course they don't, right? I think that's the topic. <laughs> the topic is that so many people are sticking to what they're used to. They've got these templates that they've been working from for a long time, you know, and they're just copying and pasting because, you know, job requisitions are usually got to hurry up and hire, got to get people in seats, butts in seats, especially if you're in the contracting world. Uh, that's what it's all about. People are just used to kind of taking the easy route. So definitely uh, an interesting topic, a lot to share. And in the chat, I shared a uh, basically a blog post of 30 funny job descriptions that are out there actually on the internet and some of the crazy things that people are asking for. So excited to hear what we're talking about today. And we, we've talked about you know, uh, job postings before are, you know, and they're not really accurate. Like we find a lot of times that the job you're applying for might not actually be the job that you're actually going to be doing. So do we even just need to look at those job descriptions and go, you know, as we're spring cleaning, maybe it's time to throw them out and start over. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things you can do is kind of start by asking yourself these three questions. This is just a place to start. One, what current and future business needs would this role directly solve? Two, where else in the organization can this role have impact? And three, what core competencies will make this individual successful? I mean, and then if you make that individual successful, it's the company. I know personally, I have been involved in several job uh, description writings because people 
you know, they hear my title, IO psychology, what is that? And then I'm like, let me tell you. And then they're like, write a job description. So over the last <laughs> several years, several jobs, I've actually written my own job description. And it's usually based directly off of my resume, which is good and bad in itself. But it's a good place to start. What are some of those funny job descriptions that you found out there? Oh, man. So let's see. I think, okay, so first one, uh, there's one that says a recruitment coordinator who can ruin the team. A recruit, uh, they're asking for, you will assist in the day-to-day ruining of the team. What? <laughs> I know everybody's looking at me. So if you're not on here, um, somebody asks for, are you a nap time ninja? Uh, we'll high five you if you're a nap time ninja who can convince even the most stubborn child to rest. Calling all nerds. Uh, we need a nerd. That was the first job requirement. There's a lot of things on here. Some are quite inappropriate. One of the ones that I enjoyed the most was the pun intended one. It said, we're looking for computer engineers who like to solve difficult problems. Call us at this number now. And, you know, those little uh, pieces of paper that you pull off of a job thing and in it for the phone number, you have to solve a math problem or a a problem. So I thought that was pretty funny, but that's not necessarily the way that you want to start depending. Now, humor is your number one, maybe go to some people might find that humorous and some people might find it offensive or misleading or something. So just something to consider. So how do we refresh those job posts? I mean, if I'm working in HR or if I was a psychologist who like you has been, you know, tapped with this responsibility, how do I even start? That's a great question. I think we have a lot of experts in here who can kind of help answer that. And I would love to chime in later on. Well, I see Dr. Arianna's got her hand up. So let's go to her. Hi, Tom. Um, It depends on the position that you're hiring for, but one of the best first steps is talking to the person who currently holds that role, especially at any organization, talking to someone who has the knowledge of what it takes to complete the role, knowledge of skills. You can ask that person if you are choosing a successor, what kind of knowledge, skills, um, and abilities they would need to have is usually a really helpful starting point. But if you are starting fresh, there are resources out there that our IOs are usually familiar with, such as ONET, where you can search a job on ONET in a classification system that helps to show the knowledge, skills, abilities, and other characteristics that are needed in a role. So that's a helpful starting place. Is it important to be specific with the requirements of the position? Because I know I've looked at a lot of job postings where it's, we need you to sort of work in this realm and to sort of have these skills. And then at the end, there's always that statement and anything else we put on your list. So do we want to get really specific with those job postings or keep them more general? I think that'll really depend on what you're hiring for. Like if you are looking for someone in an office to kind of just be your special needs assistant and there's anything that they could be doing, I think it's okay to make that clear. But, you know, another one of the postings on here that was kind of funny was a barista that required a doctorate degree. And a barista is one I have personal experience with, so I can talk to. There's there's a set number of things that you need to do as a barista. It involves making drinks, supporting the cleaning, interfacing with clients, running the payment system. So I think the in most roles you can get very specific. And I actually think it's a little unfair in job descriptions if they're too broad and saying like, and anything else. 
kind of like a conversation we had way back saying like, is it okay to make your therapist clean the bathroom? It's, there are some gray areas. Hey, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. No, the first thing is uh, going back to the, um, the, the phone number that Dr. Destiny was talking about where you have to solve a math problem. I think that's a great idea of weeding out people who may not qualify for the job if they can't solve that little problem. To me, that's that goes beyond humorous. I thought that would be clever. But, you know, we do have this history of very broad job descriptions and that statement and every, everything else we, we ask you to do, you're, you're expected to do. And I think times are changing. Jobs and attitudes about work are changing to the point where that statement may not really do us much good to put that in there. I think people want to know, what will I be doing for when I work for this company? This is where the idea of job crafting comes in because you have so many people who are currently employed with someone, but aren't necessarily happy with what they do, or they don't feel like they're accomplishing what is meaningful to them or what is meaningful to the company. Maybe their talents aren't utilized to its fullest. And I would say that when those people were hired, the job description was probably too broad, too vague, probably missed out on pinpointing where can this person really shine? What is their real talent? Where can they be the best for their own experience, but also for the company? So I think it's it's time to change. It's time to rework the uh, job descriptions when we're looking for new talent, but also for those people who already do work for an organization Let's not be so stuck as though it's all written in stone. The person you're having do tasks A and B may be much better at doing tasks C and D, and you're missing out on that talent. So it's it's really time to revamp everything. Totally agree. Um, and do you think this is a generational shift? Do you think it's that younger employees are going to be more demanding? Absolutely. I think the attitude and expectations are changing. We talked about this now outdated idea of getting a job, staying there for your entire life, retiring, getting that gold watch and the end. But while you were there, you kept your head down and did everything you were asked to do, never spoke out, never argued, never questioned. Those days are long gone. I think the people who are joining the workforce now and have been joining the workforce for a number of years now aren't going to live in order to work. They work so they can live however they want to live. And there's a big, big difference. So everything is almost turned upside down. We have to catch up with that as employers. Yeah, we are living in times of change. Uh, Maria, let's go to you. Thank you. Um, I think one of the um, things that really frustrates me when I'm looking at a job description is must demonstrate competencies in X, Y, and Z. You know, if I see that, one of the key questions I ask is, how are you going to assess this competency? Um, and am I really going to use it? And I think it's important for organizations to really look at their job description and see if they, in fact, if they're going to put that out there, they need to make sure that they do have a way of, of you know, validating the competency. And if it's not necessary for the position, it shouldn't be in there. You know, that could fall under all, you know, other things as required. But if they're not going to use it, you know, you're, you're kind of scaring people off that may otherwise, as Dr. Martha said, otherwise be competent enough to do 
the job, but they may be scared off by something that they may or may not be sure if they're going to test well in a competency, you know? Uh, So making sure that your job description is actually going to be validated after the hire is important as well. And do it in within a time frame that if the person needs some some work on that particular competency, that they have the time to prove themselves within the probationary period. Uh, well, let me ask you, do you think when people are crafting job descriptions that it's really sort of focused on what I need for the position uh, and sort of like the hard facts? Or do people just sit there and sort of make a wish list of the perfect employee and that's just they're just throwing a large net out? You know, it's hard for me to say, but I think sometimes from from what I see, there's a lot of boiler template, you know, and so people are just taking what seems, you know, most adequate. Um, And to your point, I think, you know, some people do put in um, their laundry list, if you will, of what would be nice to have, you know, and and that's great if it's going to be utilized. But I think you're also, you know, shooting yourself in the foot if you're asking for pie in the sky and you're never going to use it you're probably going to we also weed out candidates that would have likely been good candidates and not giving them the opportunity because you're, you know, dreaming of something that you might use if if you have. Yeah, you'll probably hire the wrong person. Uh, Lee, exactly. let's go to you. You know, we you, you got to be very careful with these because, you know, stay away from the ends of the spectrum because you don't want to be too vague because then who's going to apply? I don't know. Uh, but if you get too specific, well, I don't want to hire the absolute perfect person for this position because if I do, there's no room for growth. I don't want somebody, you know, if I if if I absolutely got to have somebody with a PhD and 10 years of experience and 15 articles and all this, well, then I put them in the position and that's exactly what they need and then out of board. And six months later, I'm doing it all over again. So you have to give people room for growth. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have just half turnover. And you also have to look at that growth. This is what I need today. But what am I going to need in you know, a six months, a year, whatever from now? And so you, you kind of need to keep that in mind, not necessarily put that in your job description, but you need to keep it in mind when you're doing the hiring process of I don't I don't want to hire a guy for today. I want to hire a guy for six months from now, a year from now. You know, if that's my goal is to hire and retain, I need to keep that in mind. Uh, And also, if you get way too specific and you get way too in the weeds on the job description, and I don't remember the numbers, but it's something like, you know, a a man will will apply if he if he hits like 50 percent of the the widgets while women won't unless there's like 80. And how many people are you potentially weeding out that would be awesome in the position by putting too much down to the Nat's eyebrow? Because, and if you list out, I mean, if I list out eight hours worth of stuff, that this is what you're going to do every single day. I mean, for one thing, I personally, I'm going to get bored before I get to the bottom of the job description and move on. Analysis paralysis is a thing. You get in there and you start reading, you go, I think I can, can I do that? I mean, uh, and then you end up missing out on people. And also, I think you should revise the job description every single time you fill a position. Because person that I hired yesterday to do a particular job is going to be a different person with a different job in six months because things change in business. Now, I mean, that could be different. If you're a widget maker who hits a button to make a widget pop out of a machine, that's probably not going to change much. But if you're in any kind of an information technology, whatever else, times are changing. Things are moving. And so I need to keep in mind that what got the last guy hired is not going to get the job done today. So you need to keep that in mind, revise that every single time. And you need to have that as part of your review with your people to whoever said this earlier, regularly talk to your people and 
keep a constant revision going on your job descriptions, not just for posting, but for what are your people doing? Plus, that gives me something to benchmark against when I'm looking at how are they doing? Well, if I'm looking at last year's job description, well, they kind of suck because they're not doing any of this stuff. Well, they shouldn't be. So if you continue to con- revise that, that, that helps you with both your internal continuing benchmarking as well as future hiring to get the right person and to help them progress onto the next position and helps you with your retention and, uh, and all of your on mute. Would it, would it be a terrible thing, though, to put out a job description going, we're looking for somebody who we want to train. And in six months to a year, this is what the job will be. This is what you'll be doing. But we're not looking for that person. We're looking for someone we can train. Could we do a job description like that? I, you know, I think you could. Uh, but I think that there need there would need to be two sections to that, though, you know, because there still needs to be a baseline. You know, if I'm looking for someone with like a master's level kind of knowledge, I don't want to just throw that open and me hiring a high school grad because their, their baseline is different. And so I need to say these are the these are what I want from you today. But this is where I'm headed and the training will be providing whatever else, because if you're looking for, you know, option A, they don't apply because that's not where you're going to stay. If you're looking for growth, B is where we're headed. Come on in, let's have a conversation. So I think you absolutely could do that, but you got to make sure to, to, to level set at the beginning. I think I'd ever, I think I'd start every job description with, are you learning to, are you looking to grow and just see how many people I get to apply? Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I was so excited about this topic today. First, Job postings, when you put something out to say, I need people for a position, job postings are not the same as a job description. When you do a job posting, you do a brief description of what you're looking for, the company, whatever. You give the, I don't know, maybe five things that are a must-have, and then you can have a couple of nice-to-haves, but not required, but you do not post the job description because the data shows that you will automatically skew your your respondent. You will weed people out that you don't want to weed out. And so I can't say it enough. Do not use job descriptions as your job posting. It's lazy and it doesn't serve you. That's that's my first point. That also speaks to, you know, um, then when you get someone in the pipeline and you're talking to them, or you've done your preliminary interview or so forth, and they say, well, do you have a job description? Then you can send them a job description. You can let them know if it needs to be updated. You can tell them what might be different about it, but it is not your first line. Then once you have someone hired as part of the onboarding process and they're being trained, what I would do is I would have the job description next to them and say, as you're doing things, as you're being trained, is it on the job description? Does it need to be added to the job description? And just keep, you know, a, a list, a, a running process of adding things that you're being trained on that aren't already on your job description. And then we can go back after the first 30 days or 60 days when you've been trained on most things and then find out how accurate is that job description and get it to be up to date. A dish, so it's, it involves the employee's input and the manager's input, right? It's a constant discussion. And I just have to say this to, to people, it's the hiring process and is not an easy process and it requires work. You cannot just throw something out there and get the perfect person, plug them in a desk and say, I'll talk to you in a year. 
It's not the way it's going to work. And then as you do the reviews and you talk about professional development and skill development and responsibilities taken on, those have to be incorporated into your job description. When you add responsibilities, you also look at, okay, because they're adding responsibilities, does that bump them up in a pay scale level? Because all of that review needs to take place on a regular basis as you're reviewing things with the employees. And it's a mutual responsibility between the employee and the the leader. And then you can talk about quiet quitting if you want to, but I don't think it's a real thing. If If you have an accurate job description and they're working to the job description, then they're doing their job. If they're not working to the job description and their performance standards, then it's a disciplinary process. Quiet quitting isn't a real thing in the middle. So that's <laughs> that's my soapbox for the moment. <laughs> it's a great soapbox. And and I and you're leading us to where I, you know, I'd like to take this conversation more. Uh, and and Dr. Destiny, we'll get back to you in a couple of minutes. But you know, we're talking a lot about the recruiting process and the hiring process, but then I've got my employees and those job descriptions, you know, what I hired them for two years ago. That's no longer what they're doing, but we haven't updated it. You know, as, as you said, Linda Ann, we need to update and refresh those job descriptions as the employee develops. Because, uh, you know, if I'm running a company, I want my employees in five years to be in a different position. I want them to continually work up. Um, but I don't know if that's what we're seeing. Uh, Campbell, let's go to you. Well, and to have employees that do do things are are empowered to do things like job crafting and work their way up. There are a couple of things that we as decision makers in the employment process and in the in the managerial process need. We need a lot of security in our own selves because there can be a temptation, and I've, I'm sure that no one on this conversation would succumb to this, but I've seen in a lot of organizations the temptation to put a tamp on everyone that you can so that no one outgrows you. Um, And so a a sense of personal security, a sense of, you know, growth for anyone is growth for the company and it's a good thing and it's good for all of us is the first thing. But, um, and this is assuming that you have a, a situation in which job crafting works. Obviously, if you have to staff an assembly line, somebody's got to put the parts together. But, um, as they do that, we see that for employee retention purposes, keeping someone challenged appropriately, not too much, not too little, just that that knife edge of, of continuing to grow and continuing to move up. But we also need to throw out all of our um, unconscious biases. And, and we think about that a lot in terms of race and in terms of age and in terms of all all those things. And so we certainly need to do that. But also in terms of the position you've seen the person in the past. Oh, this person is so good at their job and they look so happy. They must be completely content to stay there for 30 years and get the get the pocket watch or whatever. Um, so those are just two things to keep in mind for managers and leaders as they're making these decisions is to Make sure that that you're in touch and checking in with people about how challenged they are, how challenged they'd like to be, where they see themselves going. And sometimes you'll have employees who really like their position and they don't want to move up. 
You know, they, they want to stay exactly where they are because they love their job. And if they're great at it, wonderful. <laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. When I was listening to Linda Ann speak, one thing that I want to make sure everybody understands the importance of the HR department, because there are so many companies that either don't even have an HR department, a lot of smaller companies or family-owned companies, or companies who are too cheap to have an HR department. And that's real too, because hiring is an involved job that requires the time, the effort, the know-how, and the talent that an HR department can provide, that, that someone who has that knowledge and understanding and the time to do it can really dedicate what is required to do it right. And if you as an organization can't afford an HR department, then look into a consultant or a consulting group that can provide those services because there are so many managers out there. And I was in that position for many years where as a manager, I was expected to hire my own people. And that included every bit of it from placing the ads to doing all the interviews to doing all the background checks, everything. And so what does that do to the experience? I don't have the time, the knowledge, or the energy to do the same job that a dedicated HR department could do. And yet, this is a reality for so many. So I think we are shortchanging that entire experience. And what does that do to the incoming talent? What does that do in terms of what the organization is going to get out of those employees? That's a huge, huge point. So I wanted to make sure that we underline that because that is so important. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for that. And um, let's go over to HR, Linda Ann. Thank you, Martha. Um, but I, and I did want to, I just wanted to build on that to some extent when I would be, uh, when I worked within an organization and was recruiting, you know, I was very focused on only giving the hiring managers qualified people. So if they had maybe two or three interviews total to fill a position, then that was my goal. You know, I was, I didn't want them to sit there and interview seven and eight people because that's not an efficient use of their time. And so if you get the right candidate in the door for them, then that should be enough. And it's, you know, if you look at, I can't afford to um, uh, hire an HR person or an HR consultant, what's your billable hours, right? How much time are you not spending billable because you're doing the other stuff? So it's, it's a return on investment that people need to shift their minds around a little bit. Thank you for that. And Lee, let's go to you. You know, just to, just to, to bring the circle around here too, that, you know, in this partnership, there also needs to be some, I mean, it's a partnership. It should be. And there needs to be training involved there because uh, HR knows the, the yes and no. You know, the hiring manager knows what they need in the job. So I, don't, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in an interview with a hiring manager who's asked me an illegal question. So chances are HR hasn't trained them how to properly interview. You know, by the same token, you know, I've had a screening interview with HR where it was obvious that the HR person didn't know what the position was. And, you know, it's like some of them, I mean, and HR people are busy. Don't let I me mean, just say that to start. But I mean, I have talked to people where, I mean, they probably have just looked at my resume as we started. So 
you know, there's got to be that partnership where, you know, just starting off with what we said, you know, starting off with an accurate job posting, which we have to have the job description not to lend an endpoint, not in the job posting, but an accurate job description, a good job posting. And then we need to have that partnership between the hiring manager and the HR rep that they understand what we're looking for. And everybody is trained up on proper interviewing, uh, you know, proper interviewing to get the answers that you want, for one thing, and also to stay away from those areas, especially in today's world. It is becoming more and more fraught with danger that there are things that you cannot ask people. And, you know, and, and, you know, especially as we move more and more into the DEI realm and as we should, there are things we need to stay away from. And you get some supervisor that's been working, he's been working there for 20 years. He knows what, you know, he's got no idea that he can't ask me if I'm married. You know, he's just making small talk because that's what you do. You know, he can't ask, you know, if you're if you're a military reservist, he can't ask what your uh, obligation is. But they will. Oh, I see on here you're in the Navy Reserve. So what does that look like? I mean, how, how often are you gone? Now, I understand that from a curiosity or a conversational standpoint, but you're also treading on thin ice there. So that's incumbent on HR and the hiring manager to partner up to make sure that we know what's in bounds to hire the right person and to keep ourselves out of legal hot water. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. There's, <laughs> there's a long list of questions you cannot ask at an interview. Um, what's always surprised me interviewing and auditioning actors for a theater program is the stuff they'll just tell you. They, you go, wow. Um, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I just wanted to make one recommendation, and that is one of the things that I've done in the past is work with a list of questions. We called them pre-interview questions. And they were things like, what kind of projects have you worked on? Have you used this software? When have you used it? Have you, how did you handle, you know, particularly difficult clients and so forth? And that was so helpful in making the interviews far more productive. It also standardized some of the interview process. So they were all asked the same questions and it gave you real insight. It also took some time. And so you knew if they were committed to interviewing with you and it made, like I said, it made the interview process far more productive and something to look back on and, and compare people apples to apples and, and things like that. So I strongly recommend that once the interview, the screening interview is done, that would be the close. If I thought it was a good candidate, that would be the next step. So we went through a significant process before I was ever handing them over to a hiring manager, manager, excuse me, to um, consider. Well, Dr. Destiny, let me bring this back to you because let's say I, you know, I, I now have my own small company uh, and my HR, I've only got one HR person and they're way too busy. Um, so can I turn to an IO and could I call up Dr. Destiny and go, I need your help. Uh, first of all, I need you to look at our job descriptions and our hiring uh, because we want to make sure we get the right people. But also, you know, my company's been going for a few years now and I need to update those job descriptions. Um, can I rent an IO? Of course. In fact, I think that's something that, you know, you should do not only because it brings that external third party look at your organization, but because that's what we're trained to do. You know, we're trained to help direct the thinking and rethinking and design and optimization of the job description titles. And in fact, 
if you go onto SHRM's uh, website for the you know, the HR Society of HR Management, they talk about doing a job analysis, and and that really is like huge bread and butter of industrial and organizational psychology and what we are you know trained to do and what we practice doing. I know I do it. Um, I've done it on several occasions for people in the government, people non-government and industry. I work in the certification realm and that's where we have to start is doing a job task analysis to ensure that people, you know, is the task important? Is it critical? How frequently do you do it? We even do uh, a measure of uh, uh, critical, like, is it critical to like, if you don't do that job right or that task right, how critical is it to that job? Like, so there's like all these measures that you don't necessarily think about all the time, but that are really important. And you can even go on to Sherm's website and look at the six steps they identify as job analysis. And if you look at that, it can feel really overwhelming if you're a small organization. And so having that IO, you know, psychologist, that team, uh, call up CBOC for business, uh, those kinds of, you know, things can really help bring perspective and kind of give you a peace of mind. Is there generally a length of time this process takes? I mean, are you going to have my employees busy for the next six months? Uh, it depends. Um, you know, in some cases, you can do small focus groups and get things done pretty fast. If you do surveys, it can take a little bit longer of time because people generally take a longer time to, you know, uh, kind of do that. So there's a lot of creative ways that you can do it. I do. I've done it several different ways. Um, you know, you can focus on it for a project or a timeline or a deliverable. So it really can work with your schedule, probably your budget and what you want to, you know, what, what you want the outcomes to be. And does it make my team more productive? I mean, am I going to see a great return on this investment? Of course. I mean, not only will, I don't know if it'll make you more productive, but it will help you gain a lot of insights to what's important, how frequently people do things, you know, what does the role look like? And then maybe, you know, it will, it will definitely force you to modify the way that you, you know, put that job description out there and the way that you serve your employees. So. Well, thank you very much for that. And Campbell, let's go to you. Yes. And I think all of us on the call know this and we take it for granted, but some of our listeners might not. These are legal documents and it's important that they be done carefully in a, uh, a tidy legal fashion to protect you from litigation, both the job postings and the job descriptions and uh, any, because when you take that job description, when you've got someone who is has a disability and you have to accommodate for that, you need to know, okay, how, how vital is it to this job that they do this and things like that. So, um, but that's something that our, our listeners might not all be aware of. Yeah, very, very true. I wasn't even thinking about that until you mentioned it. But once again, that's why I'm an actor. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, Tom, speaking of actors, this whole thing reminds me of office space where the guy goes, so what would you say you do here? That's what we're trying to avoid, hiring I am. So um, if, you know, th this it's like a three-legged stool, right? You know, if you get an IO, an HR, and a hiring manager, and you have IO work with the hiring manager on, let's do job analysis. Let's, you know, update job descriptions. You know, let's figure out if the right person is in the job now. Because if if you come in and you haven't done it in a while and you come in and you do an actual, no kidding, accurate, you know, job analysis across the board, you may figure out that, you know, Bobby and Jenny should be in, in each other's spots. 
because of their particular interests and their skills and their education. And so to go back to your question on, will that make them more productive? That just might, because, you know, if you're playing to the strengths, you know, this goes back to that old thing, you know, right seats on the bus, you know, and we don't often recognize that we should reorg periodically. We should look at the people on our bus and figure out, are they in the right seats? Do we even have the right seats or are they the wrong places? Do we have enough? So if you were to do that, oftentimes a lot of these, you know, you know, a lot of hiring, uh, you know, regret. I never should have hired that person for this. Well, maybe, you know, you should have started off knowing what you were hiring them for. And, you know, and then you can work in conjunction, you know, HR and and the, the IO to, you know, to work on the process, you know, process improvements and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, they both have some training in the legalities and all that. Uh, to Cam's point about making sure that this stuff is all kosher on a legal level and it's all recorded and it's all documented. And some, so if there's an incident and somebody says, were they supposed to be doing that? Well, according to this, no, they weren't. So, you know, it's it's good to keep up with that sort of thing on top of all of this. Uh, let, let me ask you this, Lee, because we're, we're, we're kind of talking generally here, but I do go back to, you know, and this is more specific, but it's when people are in those positions, they're doing a great job, uh, but now you know their leader, we've moved them to a different position. We're now looking for a new leader. We want to uh, bring in you know, someone from the team. We want them to assume that leadership position, but I don't know who has leadership skills or not. And too often I've seen people who are great at their job, you know, put into now you're the leader of the team, but they don't have leadership skills or they're, you know, no one thinks of actually giving them some training. So will an IO be able, let's say I've got a team of five people, one of them is going to be the leader. Can you help me to drill down and find out who's going to be the best leader? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, and a lot of that is going to be, you know, observation. A lot of that's going to be talking. A lot of that's going to be figuring out what do they want to do? Because, you know, you may have a guy who's a fantastic operator, but he'd be a, a really terrible manager and he doesn't want to be a manager. So you need to kind of keep that in mind because a, a good way to lose a good employee is to put them where they don't want to be. Um, and so they'll find where they want to be. And usually it's not with you. So you want to, you definitely want to, to do that. And whoever you put up there, you need to do training. I mean, like right now, team I've got right now, the, the, the guy I've got supervising. He was promoted from the ranks. So now I inherited that. Turns out it was a good choice. Awesome. But I have to train him now. So I regularly mentor him on ways to handle things, ways to do things better so that he grows into the leader that will replace me because I'm not staying where I am forever. That's for him to do. But I need to make sure he's ready for that. And my team deserves for me to make sure he's ready to lead them because they deserve to have a leader. You know, every team does, you know, and, and a lot of dysfunctional teams wouldn't be dysfunctional if they had a leader, you know, and, and let's not confuse. We've had this conversation before. Let's not confuse manager and leader. Sometimes they're not the same person because every group needs leaders that not always the manager, and, but you, you got to have the manager to make sure that to, to manage the things as it says, but uh, you know, you got to keep that in mind. You can't just assume that someone with a title manager is an actual leader and that they know what they're doing. 
they can learn leadership skills, but we have to provide that to them. So that is incumbent. And if your organization does not have a an established leadership program, well, again, that brings us right back to why we're here. And IO can help you with that because you really need to have, I mean, even if you don't sit them in the classroom and do formalized things, there needs to be some guidelines on what you are looking for in leaders and how and to train them to be there. And you can do it, train the trainer, you can train the person who, who's their supervisor to mentor them to be the, however you want to do it based on your size and budget and all that kind of stuff. But there needs to be a conscious effort to train these people. You know, the team deserves it. They deserve it. Your organization, your customers, everybody deserves to have the right person there and have them properly trained. Yeah. Create effective teams and the world will be your oyster. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. We've talked about things such as job crafting, and we've mentioned the importance of revisiting job descriptions and updating them as appropriate. But something else that an organization could do is utilize cross-training. And that's not always appropriate, doesn't always work for every situation. But I think that's something that's important for organizations to consider as a way of evaluating and updating job descriptions. Because when you are asking people to switch jobs and learn each other's jobs, not only does that provide you some current feedback on what that job actually entails, but it can also help you in finding the best talent for each position. Because maybe, lo and behold, the two people who switched jobs for a week now they're in the right job. And you would have never discovered that if you didn't engage in this simple exercise that originally was designed to help the team if somebody is out or if you have a shortage of people. But now you can use it at a different level. So that's just another tip for organizations out there to use all the tools that you can possibly think of to help yourself. Yeah, you, you will find a diamond in the rough. You will find those employees who will drive your organization forward. Uh, Maria, let's go back to you. You know, um, we we would we would hope that um, times as times change, that organizations change as well. But there are still very large organizations that only use their HR people to hire. You know, there's a presumption that there's a relationship between the HR hiring um, manager and the supervising manager that's looking for that staff. But that's not always the case. And I think that in and of itself creates a lot of barriers for people to be hired into a position properly. You know, so I think, you know, an IO getting into the C-suite, if you will, and asking, you know, how has your HR department evolved as times have evolved. There are people that are in HR jobs that have been doing it for 40, 50 years and have not evolved with the times. And they're just hiring. They're probably, you know, keeping up with their certifications and, you know, and labor laws, of course. But, you know, they don't necessarily have that relationship with the managers that's necessary. A lot of these managers don't find their HR person until they have a disciplinary problem with one of their employees or unless they're, you know, in a position where they really don't know what to do with someone. Sometimes they don't know who their hiring manager is. So, you know, I mean, you know, we use that 
wonderful presumption that everyone is as wonderful as uh, Linda Ann is. If we could clone Linda Ann and just have her in organizations, the world would be a better place, right? But the fact of the matter is that's, you know, that's not always the case. The reality is that sometimes hiring HR people are just hiring and they're not training. You know, they're not working with the managers that they're supporting to train them because that's not part of their job. Well, well, let me ask you, let's go to you, Linda, and, and, and let me ask you that. I mean, how is the, is the HR certification out there? Is that enough or is HR in itself changing and becoming a different role? The HR certifications are, are, um, are substantial depending on what level you, you're at, right? Um, however, especially if you're a solo HR person, it's not for the faint of heart, really. Because you do need to um, be pretty diplomatic, but it's a your everyday life is an education process for people. Not everybody wants to be educated, you know, um, and not everybody likes what you're saying. But it it, it is a process of of making sure that <clears throat> you're helping the the organization understand the value you can bring to the table. So it's not just you know walk in and everybody's happy to see you. It's not like that. They just want you to to give them the right. They give you. They want you to give them the unicorn they're looking for and have them work. You know, fully capable the first day if they could have that. So, it's it's a it's truly an evolution. Um, but I I wanted to bring up that in the hiring process when you're looking for the right people and when you're working with those hiring managers, and and it is an education process for that hiring manager and it takes work for the human resources person to become familiar with the job requirements so that you are doing that a good job with that. Um, It's also important to look at the metrics of when that you are providing, the candidates are provided to that hiring manager, are they, making offers or are you making offers and people are not accepting and if that's the case that's a red flag for you to look at okay are am i giving you the right people but is that person interviewing well and how are they communicating that process because you should be if you do your job well and it's a it's a good process you should be closing about 80% of those um offers and if you're not and look at your hiring managers. You know, is there a specific hiring manager that you you know is just not is not closing the deal basically, and and getting the people in the door when they should? Are they are those people going to other your competitors? So there's some real metrics that you can look at um, to determine where there's a, a glitch in that process and getting good people on board. Uh, side question, but let me ask you this: if when you started in HR, if you had taken that very first job description that you had, um, and then you were to rewrite your job description for today, how much would that job description change just because the role of HR has changed? I would. It depends on. You have to look at the person in the job. Some people's ha- Some people are happy to just do that administrative work in HR, whether it's you know pushing the benefits packets and and doing that processing. And there's roles for them in HR. They are an HR specialist in that particular aspect of HR. Um, For me, it was because I, I'm never, if something's broken, I want to fix it, you know? So um, (laughs) 
it, it just depends, you know, on, on the person. And, and just like any other job, there's some people who are happy in a specific aspect of that role or that, that task or responsibility. And, and so it, that's pretty person person specific, I think. But I think that what we need to do is have people in HR who are willing to go to that next level and really help the leadership team understand the full scope um, of what you bring to the table. You know, like I had a conversation the other yesterday with somebody who we were talking about market forces and, and evaluating his team as he's growing. And what are the market forces that you're going to be um looking at and how are you going to adjust and how is that going to affect as you grow and, and your scalability and those kinds of things. And most people don't think of HR as, as being the person to have that conversation with. Well, I just like the notion of educating the C-suite and, <laughs> and the role HR can play in that. Uh, Campbell, let's go to you. Yes. I, I think if you're thinking about hiring in a uh, uh, one person, an IO to do your HR stuff or an HR consultant. Um, it's important to let them into all the rooms. Um, I, I'm right now I'm working for a, a consulting company that mostly what we do is exit interviews. Um, but we can bring much more value to a company if we're led into their planning and their their organizational development and their you know, a lot of times, this about thirty percent of the time, the special projects that we're called in for, um, if if they had let us in the conversation um, beforehand, we wouldn't be needing a special project. Um, so the more that you can bring somebody, if you're going to invest in bringing someone onto your team, um, let them know what you're thinking about doing. Use them as a sounding board. They can speak into more, and you. You may they may be more versatile than than you're aware. Yeah, very very true, um, Doctor Destiny. Here we are. Uh, we've got about eight minutes left. Um, how are we doing on this topic? And do you have anything more that um, that you can add? Um, you know, just uh, some. I thought this other uh, statistic was interesting. Companies filling job descriptions are using buzzwords like rock star and guru. Um, and that has seen a 20% increase over the last few years. So, <laughs> and I know there's a lot of, uh, talk, you know, in the military, we come to the military community, me and a few others on here, and that's the kind of talk we are used to using, but regular people, I mean, do you want a rock star? Do you want somebody who actually is good at a guitar? Like, what are you looking for? You want a good singer? Like, what part of that? What's a guru? You know, I think of a guru probably different than you do. So just something to think about um, and kind of bring it back to that. You know, it it can be funny, but there's some truth in all of this, right? Like it's really important to get those things right because they're really a marketing tool as well for your organization. They're not just an HR tool, they're a marketing tool because people can say, I mean, think about it. They, they, they. I think there's statistics about how uh, much LinkedIn has become this, uh, you know, the place where people are applying for jobs. In fact, I don't know if any of you have actually actively tried to apply for a job on there recently, but it's terrifying because the second like a job comes on, all of a sudden you can like easily apply. And I know I've, I just like tried one time to see like what the process is like. And within like 10 minutes, there was 200 applicants. And then I looked later that night and there was 2000 applicants. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, there's 2000 people out there that this job description is speaking to. Why? <laughs> How? You know, 
Um, so, and, and that tool can be great, but it needs to be very clear because that piece of that, whatever they're reading is what they're, what they know about your organization. Um, and then they start going to, a, you know, connect with hiring managers off of that post and things like that. So something to consider that it's more than just, you know, a job description, it's a tool, it's a marketing tool, it's an analysis, or it should be all of those things. So that's what I wanted to add about that. But there are some things I wanted to chat about real fast before we get off, Tom, uh, that are coming up with Seabock. So um, should we go there? Oh, he's on mute. So I'm going to go there. All right. So <laughs> we have an upcoming conference that I'm really excited about. I don't know how much I can share, uh, but I'm going to share as much as I can to a degree where it will get you excited. We're going to be doing a conference um, in August, 10 to 12 August. It will be a virtual conference and we are going to do some really exciting things. It will be free. Um, we will have our, um, experts as part of it. And the reason it's free is because we are going to have a conversation with people. We want it to be a conference focused on connecting, networking, and growing in IO. And so in order to ensure that that happens, we're going to offer this to members and non-members. There will be a um, opportunity to also receive a micro-credential or a skills badge if you attend certain sessions and do and demonstrate a certain uh, mastery of a competency. So there will be a lot of opportunities to grow in different ways as well and to present and to write articles and things like that. So we're really excited about that. Um, and we will be continuing the chats of the different um, topics on spring cleaning through the month of March. And there, there are lots of things happening that we can't talk about. Yeah, <laughs> some, I know. Some really exciting things coming down the pipe. Uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about re-engaging and refreshing your team. Do, do you find that that, like, winter is tough? And do you feel like this is just the time of the year we need to get more energy into our organization. And can things like this, like refreshing your team and, and doing things just to get them re-energized, that's really something we should be looking at this time of year, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, and also like, it's, it's kind of natural progression with the season. Like people are, you know, more upbeat and out getting outdoors and like the sunshine and they want to, you know, there's momentum in most cases in the spring. I know in the animal department, there's momentum. So <laughs> why not, um, you know, also attribute that to making sure, like connecting with your team and a lot of people, and we're going to talk about um, New Year's resolutions and why they aren't working for some people. Uh, and maybe for some they are. So it's really about, you know, because we had really good intentions several months ago. And what are we doing about it now? So I think it's a great thing to do. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to re-engage your team. Yeah. And I was so upset when I saw that one coming up because I'm like, Jeremy, why didn't you do that in January when we were making those resolutions? And it's talking about rejuvenation. I, I'm sitting here looking out your windows of the beautiful green and the sun shining. It's minus 20 today up here. <laughs> you should see all of our faces for all those who are listening. <laughs> we are all like have faces of dread for Tom. <laughs> the, the good news is by the end of next week, it'll be back up to a balmy, you know, freezing mark. <laughs> 
So yeah, it's time for some spring cleaning and get rid of that winter up here. Uh, well, thank you very much, Destiny. And thank you very much, Linda Ann, Dr. Martha, Campbell, Maria, Lee, Ariana, and everyone else who joins today and shared their voices. Um, that is it for today. We will be back in one week's time. Lee, I'm pretty sure you've got another pop-up networking coming this week. I do. It will be this evening at uh, 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central. Uh, we scheduled it for, I think, three hours, and we never end on time. So if you can't be on time, that's okay. Come on by. Some great people on there as well. Some great conversation. You'll see a lot of these faces again. And don't forget, we've got game night coming up on the 10th as well. Oh, my God. I think that is tomorrow night as well. Uh, Friday night, spend some time with some other smart people and see who's the smartest. Uh, that's why I don't go. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. And Destiny, if you'd like to count this up, we'll see everyone in one week's time. In three, two, one. Have a great one, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.